you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the epistle of the Ephesians. Epistle of the Ephesians in the New Testament. We're going to take a little break from the Gospel of Luke and turn to the book of Ephesians today. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll read from, uh, for this first Sunday, we'll read verse 1 of chapter 4. We'll read all the way to verse 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. The Apostle Paul writes these words, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which with you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also, he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all the heavens, so he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would cause your word to go forth this morning. May your spirit be our teacher. Fill us, we pray. Give us understanding of the, the meaning of this passage. It's meaning not only, not only uh, for the Ephesians, but the meaning for your church today. And its application to, to our, life, our lives as individuals, as well as our life as a church. We pray that as we begin the new year, that you would once again cause us to be renewed with a, uh, a, a, a clear understanding of our mission as, as a church of Jesus Christ and help us uh, commit ourselves to make, uh, our, make uh, goals or, or make uh, purpose ourselves and aim for the accomplishment of your will uh, for your church so that the name of Christ might be magnified and you would be glorified. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin the year, as well as the decade, uh, we can look back uh, and ask ourselves how and, uh, and just how ESSA Bible has changed. Uh, it's really neat. Uh, I don't know if you have participated in our church directories, but our church directory kind of that we have, when we, a photo directory, we kind of ended up producing it every 10 years. If you ever take them out and you look at them, and some of you have the 50, most last, the last reason was the 50-year anniversary. Some of you have the 40 anniversary. And some of you actually have the 30-year anniversary. Does anybody have a 20? 
No, I didn't think there was. Anyways, but when I look at those, it's really neat because I see how we've changed. And, and you can think about it, as we've changed over this past decade, we've also changed as a church. You just think about the ways that we've changed, the church has changed. A lot of things have changed. That's inevitability of, one of the inevitabilities of life is that things change. Uh, we change, definitely. Uh, we get a little more, uh, we get a, just, just a little bit older. We become a little more fragile as we get older. Some of us are growing stronger. But we all change. And uh, some of us are, are, probably the majority of you here, uh, were not here 10 years ago. That's, that's pretty interesting. Uh, that's one of those uh, interesting little stats about the membership of the church. In fact, that uh, about 80% of the members of the church joined within the last 10 years. That's kind of a cool thing. Uh, so you probably weren't here 10 years ago. So welcome, all you new people. But, uh, and uh, thanks for those, thanks for staying, those of you that are here for more than 10 years. Anyways, definitely uh, one of the things we'd ask is, has Essa Bible grown as a church for the, over these past 10 years or even this past last year? And even when we ask that question, has Essa Bible grown, we, we really want to define what it means to, to grow as a church. Do we mean uh, the, an increase in the number of people attending or an increase in the, the number of programs that we offer? Is it measured in members that have been added to the church or in offerings that have been given or uh, maybe money that is stored up for us in, in our ba- in bank account? Certainly compared to 10 years ago, by a lot of these measures, we could probably say that the Bible has been growing. But while numerical growth is one way to measure the growth of a church, it isn't really how the New Testament speaks of church growth. Rather, the New Testament references to growth primarily emphasize what we might call spiritual growth. Our passage today describes this kind of growth, this spiritual growth of a church. It teaches us, uh, basically, Christ's provision for the growth of his church. That Christ has provided certain things so that his church would grow. He's provided principles, ways that we are to operate as a church so that his church grows. Christ has designed the church to grow as it fulfills its purpose to make disciples through Speaking his truth to one another in love. At the beginning of the year, it is our tradition here to review our mission, vision, and values of the church. And we, we have those. We've kind of been kind of formulating them over the past five, seven years or so. And we want to simply remind us from the word of God why we exist. And what should be our priority as a church of Jesus Christ. As a church of Christ, we exist, and I know you could all say it by heart, but I'm going to say it for you instead, is that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's our mission statement. That should be somewhere in the, in the back of our minds. It's, as far as mission statements go, when you compare it with the corporations, the companies out there, it's really not fancy it's not fancy it's a mission statement it's a, because it's simply a fundamental mission statement. It's like ABCs and do, re, mi. It's uh, something you should know. You should be able to roll out of your tongues. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And I hope that if you've been here for, if you've been, a, actually if you've not just been here, but if you've been a member of the church for five years or more, you, could, you have that purpose statement, that mission statement somewhere in your minds. What do we do as a church? Why are we here? Well, oh yeah, we're about making disciples of Christ to the glory of God. Making disciples. 
And I hope that this is something that you have understood. Uh, Jesus makes it clear in the Great Commission that we read in the beginning of the service that the church's priority and purpose is to be making disciples, to make followers and student learners of Christ wherever the Lord leads us. If so, and this is the case, if this is our conviction, then the question, next question is how do we go about it? How do we go about making disciples? What does that look like for us at Bible? What is involved in disciple making? Is it a class? Is it a, a program or a ministry? Is it a particular relationship or is it a set of disciplines that one must practice? Now, none of these are the substance of disciple making, though they are, they are somewhat necessities in disciple making. Rather, disciple making is primarily that of speaking the word of God in the power of God to others. It is the prayerful communication of God's word to one another. It is speaking, as this text puts it, truth to one another in love. It is in this way, as we, the church of Jesus Christ, speak truths, not only from me to you, but you to one another. It is the way, it is God's ordained means that the church of Jesus Christ grows as he has designed. And over the next three sermons, I, I want to take a, a closer look at this passage, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. It's a passage I've preached before many, many, many years ago. But I want us to consider it in a little greater detail. And consider how Christ grows his church. What are the, the ways and the, the means by which, the design for which he has uh, ordained for the church of Jesus Christ to grow? And hopefully it will help us, encourage all of us to, to inform us on how we go about fulfilling our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. To the glory of God. Paul's letter this, to the Ephesians, just a little background, encourages the readers to walk in a manner worthy of our calling as Christians, as followers of Christ. In chapter 4, uh, he starts really describing this worthy walk. In verses 1 through 6, the worthy walk is characterized by a spiritual unity as a body. That though we are diverse in our body, really, we have to need to have a spiritual unity bound together by our common faith, the common doctrines, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and etc. But in verses 7 through 16, our worthy walk is characterized by a second thing, and that is by a word-driven growth. That the church of Jesus' growth is grows driven by the proclamation, the teaching of the word of God. That's what healthy churches should look like. They will grow as the word of God is taught, as it's spoken, not just from the pulpit, but it's, it permeates every member of the body so that the body itself, is, as it's connected to different other members of the body, is speaking truth to one another. As we look in this text, we're going to see terms like grow, build up, mature, and all these things emphasize spiritual growth, spiritual church growth. Over the next six, three, three weeks, we're going to look at six principles for the spiritual growth of Essa Bible. It's the spiritual growth not only for every church, but as we apply it to ourselves, it's the for six principles for the spiritual growth of this church. This morning, we're going to look at just two of them, the first two. And I hope uh, uh, you will kind of just uh, enjoy the, the, uh, the further in depth. And really, as you have opportunities to interact with other members of the body, to discuss it with them, to talk, to talk about these things with one another. Because uh, <clears throat> and really, uh, even as we, uh, as a church, as elders, we, we talk about the, what grows a church. 
really, I, it's my conviction that if this is, well, as we'll see, it cannot happen from a top-down, driven kind of thing. It can't be just because, oh, Pastor Henry or the elders say that's what we must do. That's so, let's do that. It has to be that every one of us here has the conviction that this is what God says. This is what God says. This is God-driven, spirit-driven. And he will convict us and challenge us and say, that's what I need to do. This is what I need to do. This is my part. And I want to get involved in this because I want to see the church of Jesus Christ at Essa Bible, in here at Essa Bible, grow. So let's take a look then at the first principle. The first principle for the spiritual growth of Essa Bible is found in verse, verse 11, a little bit into verse 12. And that is the ministry of gifted teachers. The ministry of gifted teachers. Paul writes in verse 11 and verse 12 says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. This short little uh, passage here gives, we can make three observations. There's someone who's giving a gift, and these are gifted teachers we will call, we'll conclude in a little bit. But we can make three observations about uh, these gifted teachers that are given to the church. First of all, we note the giver of the gift. Who is the giver of these gifted teachers? It says that he gave. Who was he? The preceding verses, when you kind of just look back in verses, uh, the, just a few verses before, you see that there's this he that gave to the church uh, these gifted teachers. There's the one that's descended, who is also ascended. Uh, he's the one who is, gave gifts to men. You go further back to verse 7. It's the one whose grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And there's the first mention of who this he is. You can even... Uh, this he then is no less than Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Lord of the church. Jesus Christ is the one who has, been, who has given gifted teachers to the church for her growth. Now, this isn't the first mention of gifts in this, in this text in, here in verse, verse 11. Even back in verse 7, we see the mention of the giving of gift. There it says, Paul says that to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every believer, each believer in Christ is given grace, it says. Grace is, uh, sometimes we think of like grace as an undeserved favor. But in this idea, it's, it's an undeserved gift, but it's, a, it's an, particularly an enablement. It's like, we did, oh, God gave me grace to endure. God, so it's like a spiritual enablement, we might see it. It's the enablement of the spirit that God has given us. This enablement that, of the spirit that Christ has given us, we commonly call a spiritual gift. It's a gift of this, that, that the Spirit enables us to do. Romans 12, verse 7 speaks, says very similarly, to each one of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one's gift is given as Christ pleases. So he chooses what gift and what portion to give to each believer. And so Jesus, as the Lord of the church, gives not only spiritual gifts to each and every member of the body, each and every member of this body even, but he's also given Gifted teachers to the church, to the church in Ephesus, to the church universal, and to as a Bible church. And if Christ is the giver, then we can have confidence in the, the goodness and wisdom of his gift, of these gifted teachers that Christ gives to his church. They are from him. They are God's gift to us. Now, we can also make observation about the variety of these gifts. Notice it says that he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as, some as pastors and teachers. There's a variety of gifted teachers that are mentioned here. The first two uh, types of 
teachers are mentioned are apostles and prophets. And these were foundational gifted men. They were given to establish the church when she was in her infancy. Back in chapter 2, verse 20 of Ephesians, Paul describes the church as having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. While Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone, the very cornerstone, but the apostles and prophets were the foundation that was laid. The apostles, of course, were, the, as we've seen in Luke, were those 12 official representatives his, uh, of Christ on earth. They were delegated with authority by him to proclaim his message and to perform his miracles. The prophets, in contrast, were those New Testament spokesmen of God who, in association with the apostles, were those who spoke and eventually wrote down and authored the New Testament scriptures. Since the completion of the canon of scripture, these foundational offices of apostles and prophets do not continue today. But the other two offices that are mentioned here do. These are that the church continues to have evangelists as well as pastors and teachers. Evangelists are those who are gifted and, and passionate in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost. Uh, there are uh, sometimes we, we, in the church of Jesus Christ, we, when we think of leaders, we generally think of pastors or elders. We don't think of evangelists, and that's, that's to our loss. You know, we should be, uh, you know, we should be looking for those kinds. Of, a, lot, a lot of times, those evangelists, they just become, pa- they become, they're like in church planning pastors. I think those of us that are, understand the history of uh, San Francisco Bible Church, understand how it was planted by an organization called Chinese Bible Mission, will have known or learned about the name of Pastor Sen Wong. Pastor Sen Wong was, uh, he, we called him pastor, but he could very well, and I think those of you who know him, would have, we could have called him an evangelist. He really was the, a gifted evangelist given to the church of Jesus Christ. Because the Lord used him to preach the gospel. He was like, he, he, he was, he's like how many think of Billy Graham. Such was a man. Such was Pastor Sen. We thank God for men like him. We, we need to look out for people the like evangelists. Because we need these kind of, lift, these kind of gifted uh, leaders in Christ's church. Oftentimes we send our missionaries, these evangelists as missionaries to the world. They're also oftentimes the church planters uh, of our world. Pastors and teachers is another office that Christ continues to give to the church today. And that's, and they are really, when, though it says pastors and teachers, the grammar seems to imply that these are really one and the same. That the pastors are the teachers, these teachers are the pastors. The word for pastor literally means a shepherd. They're those, these are those who shepherd the flock of God. They care for it. They, they watch over it. But the primary task of a shepherd is that they feed the flock. Think about when uh, Jesus restored Peter in John 21. And when he asked him, if you love me, do you love me, Peter? And Peter said, yes, I do. What did Jesus tell him to do? Uh, I know uh, in NAS it says, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. But the idea that really the, the main idea of that word tend is, is feed. You can literally translate it as feed. Feed my sheep. Feed my flock. Shepherd. Jesus right there taught Peter a very important letter, a very important lesson. As a shepherd, as a, as a pastor, you must feed the flock. One of the primary responsibilities of, of those who are pastors, those who are shepherds, is to feed the flock with the word of God. They, yes, they are to care for the flock. 
They're to, when they are hurt. They are to protect them when they are in danger. But shepherds primarily uh, are those who teach the word of God. That's why they are called the pastors, teachers. The church today needs both evangelists and pastors, teachers. One evangelizes, the other edifies. Jesus still gives both to the church today. We need them both. Thankfully, Christ gives them to his church. And though there are, is a variety in the gift, uh, the, these, uh, that he, uh, gifted men that Christ gives to the church, these four all share in one common essential trait. And we list the third observation is the, the, ascent, the essence of the gift. What is the essence of these four gifted uh, teachers? The indispensable quality of each of these gifted offices is that they are those who speak God's word. They speak God's word. You might say we, they teach God's word, but they, at the very simplest, they speak God's word. Apostles spoke the words of Christ because they, they had received it and heard it and they witnessed Jesus Christ. And they went out and then spoke of what their eyes saw. Prophets were those who received revelation from God and then spoke it or wrote it down as the word for the word of God in the New Testament. Evangelists are those who go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost. Pastor teachers are those who then teach God's word to the church and, and shepherd them and feed them so that they would grow as a church of Christ. And even today, evangelists and pastor teachers continue to serve by proclaiming and teaching the word of Christ. And this is how Christ grows his church. Christ has given to the church gifted teachers who are able to teach his word. Why are they so important? Why is why is it so important that they are teaching the word of God? Because the purpose of these gifted teachers, explained in verse 12, it's for the equipping of the saints. For the equipping of the saints. The saints here are a reference to Christians, disciples of Christ. But they are given teachers to equip them, to provide to uh, to give them the necessary tools to prepare them so that they are ready for whatever it is that Christ has called them to do. You know, to do certain tasks, you need to be rightly equipped. Every one of us probably do different, different work, and there's certain equipment that you need to do your work, I would imagine. Um, maybe it's, for, well, it seems like a lot of days, all we need is a computer, right? That's reminding me of your primary equipment. But, you know, if we still did work, like I needed my job to, to chop a tree, well, then I would need my axe. If I'm to mow the lawn, if my job is to lawn, mow the lawn, then I need my lawn mower. If I, my job is to scramble eggs, to cook, then I need that frying pan or that big, you know, grill. If I'm uh, someone who sews, then, or to sew clothing, then I need a, a sewing machine or, or needle and thread. To make disciples, what do we need? To be equipped, to be prepared. Of all the things we need, we need the word of God. That's our tool. To make disciples of Jesus Christ, we need the tools of the word of God. If we're to make disciples, to make people who are students, learners of Jesus Christ, we need the tool of the word of God, right? That's we need to know it and then we need to teach it. So Christ gives to the church gifted teachers whose work is to teach God's word so that the people are rightly equipped to make disciples. Here's what I want to just simply, and that, uh, the principle is simple. I, I've gone into a little, a little more detail, but I want us to see that this is, this is clearly uh, God's purpose. I want to take a little time to do, go into a little application for us. So this principle, if Christ has given us gifted teachers to the church, 
if the ministry of these gifted teachers are his, are, are his design for the growth of, of his church and growth of SF Bible, then what should we do in light of this? Well, I'm thankful. First of all, we need to give thanks to God that he continues to give such men to the church. Therefore, our task and as a church is to recognize and identify those men whom God has gifted as evangelists and, and pastors and teachers even, uh, and, and, uh, and give them opportunities to be trained up and then sent out and released to teach others. Because yeah, if this is Christ's provision for our growth, then we need to, as a church, make it a commitment of the church. It needs to be a priority of the church to encourage and develop the ministry of gifted teachers. You know, as a, when we were uh, 10 years ago even, 20 years when we, were, when we first arrived, this church was a, a more of a small, just medium, good-sized family church. And at that time, maybe we didn't think about it so much. But as we've grown larger, as we have more people, as we have more resources, as we, God has uh, it's made, uh, brought us to a, a pretty a maturity in a, as a church, we need to definitely be more aware and purposeful in this area. We need to provide opportunities for the, the young to, to learn to teach as well as to teach the, the word of God, especially those gifted young men. And our elders understand this. I appreciate them, their understanding of this. We know that we're not going to be teaching forever. We're all got to, our days will end, and we need to pass on the ministry. We've been making every effort to include other men in our, for instance, our adult Sunday school classes. And I think that's a good thing. I'd like to see that really happen in, in all our ministries, that all of us are thinking, we need to bring alongside other people who we can include in our ministry, that we can teach them how to do the ministry, and, and then let them do it, and then pass it on to them. We should always be thinking about this. We, sometimes we call this simply discipleship. It doesn't have to be a principle. Uh, it's just a principle, though. We don't want to be people who hoard the ministry. This is my ministry. Only I can do this ministry. Only I'm gifted. This that, would be, that, would be, that would be a mistake because that ministry will die when we die. We don't want that to happen. We don't, don't, don't leave it to me. Say, well, I'm, someone, I'm a servant until I die, and then that's Pastor Henry's problem to figure out who's going to replace me. Please train your replacement. I'm training my replacements so that if I die tomorrow, I know there's at least two men, good men, who can step forward and step in and fill this pulpit. We need to be purposeful about this. We also need to support those who sense a call to pastoral or missionary ministry. Uh, and this is, I believe, we can do now more with, with the means that God has provided for us. Because if we, we find, we come across people who are willing to forsake all, they're willing to leave uh, family behind, they're willing to leave their comforts of this, of, our, of, uh, of this country behind for the sake of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to another people group, another nation, they're willing to go and sh to a whole other city, go out to the, for instance, uh, last Sunday I was at a small little uh, church in Wappingers, New York. You ever know Wappingers? Any of you guys out there? Mid-Hudson Valley, Hudson Valley, man, small church, but God calls people out there to shepherd. And, this, and the pastor's there, he's like 60 plus years old, I can tell you, he's, he's never retiring. And I was wondering to myself, who's going to replace that man? There's a pretty good sized 
at least for that area, that church. Yeah. Who will who raise up someone to send there to shepherd when he uh, returns to the Lord? Such people who are willing to forsake all for the sake of serving Christ deserves our prayer and financial support. You know, when I went off to seminary, uh, it was funny. I saved a lot of money, as much money as I could as a college student. And after the first semester at the Master Seminary, I was pretty much broke. I had no money. I'd spent it all on, you know, books and such, you know, tuition. But the church back home, uh, each would ask me how I'm doing, would ask me what my needs were. And they would grac- graciously uh, help, help me financially. They helped me with my tuition pretty much, which was about maybe... I don't know, a couple thousand uh, a semester, I think, a couple thousand. It was a young church plant without much money, but it understood the importance of training future pastors. You think there's, a, there's benefit in that? A church that was willing to invest in, in a young man, actually there was two of us, uh, has worked out, I, I believe, for Christ's kingdom. So if God raises up faithful men who sense God's call to ministry, we should invest in them. If they can't afford it and we can, then we should help pay their tuition as their needs arise. Now, is there always a risk when we support such men? Yes, there are. Some may not be called, but seminary serves to weed those out. Is there a risk that they will not come back to serve here as much as we we love them? Absolutely. We've already seen it happen. Some we've sent off to seminary, and, and they've gone to serve in different churches. And we're, but it's our, instead of being something sorrowful about, it is something we rejoice about. Because we know that we've had a part in sending them off to, to minister to Christ's church elsewhere in our city, as well as across our nation, and even further. The kingdom is greater than this, the Bible. And I believe there is a reason for this church at this moment of its life that God has raised up so many young men and women in this church. You look around the church of the Bible, it's mostly young people, right? It, um, well, this, you know, most of the older folks come to this service. The second service, sea of young people, okay? Trust me. Go check it out. There's a reason why he's raised up so many young men and women. There's a reason why he's blessed us with finances, there's a reason why he has given us a, as a church, a church that is faithful from, from, uh, from the pulpit all the way to the smallest of our classrooms, smallest Bible studies, a faithfulness to the teaching of God's word. Such a church is rare. It's unique. It's chosen. It's set aside by God for a purpose. It's not just so that we would build ourselves up, but it's a, I believe that it is is designed by God so that we could support and raise up and send out the future pastors and missionaries and shepherds of Christ's church around the world. Do you believe that? That's what Christ does to the ministry of these gifted teachers. They teach God's word. But the teaching of God's word is not solely the responsibility of those gifted teachers. I want to move on to the second, uh, to the second principle for Esther Bible's growth. That is the, the ministry of the saints. The ministry of the saints. 
That's found in the latter half of verse 12. Uh, this, verse 12 gives us two reasons for why the saints need to be equipped. We might call the first purpose, the saints, uh, uh, the first reason, the saints' purpose. The saints' purpose. It says uh, in the text, verse 12, for the, that these gifted men were given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Christ has given gifted teachers to the church for equipping the saints for the work of service. These gifted teachers communicate the God's truths to Christians to equip them for this particular work of, or labor of service or ministry. The ESV translates as the work of ministry. What then is this, uh, this work of service or work of ministry that Christian saints are taught to do, that they're, they're equipped by the, the teachers to do? Sometimes we think about particular areas of ministry like ushering or greeting how to count the offering, how to work the AV, and that's, that's too complicated. Uh, how to play a worship ministry, how to sing, how to lead worship, how to teach, how to work with children. Sometimes we think of it, how to go out witnessing and things like that. We, we think of those kind of concrete acts of service that we do. And while definitely these are all different areas of service in the church and many more, they are all different, in a sense, works of service. What is primarily meant here by this phrase, work of service, at the heart of all the work of service that we do is that it is speaking God's truths to one another. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, urges them to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That work is the same word as work here. In the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians 16, 10, Paul uses the same phrase. When he writes to, now, now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. See, the work of the Lord that all Christians are to always abound in, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and of which Timothy and Paul did, according to 1 Corinthians 16, 10, can be nothing less than the speaking of the teachings of Christ, speaking the word of Christ, the word of God, speaking the gospel. This is what the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers equip then the saints to do. To people who are able to speak the word of God to others. To speak the gospel with others. The work of service or ministry is simply speaking the truths of Christ to other people. This is not just the evangelist's work or the pastor's work. This is the saint's work. All of us are to speak the truths of Christ to other people. Every Christian has a responsibility to ministry work. And growth, according to Christ's design, won't take place if only the elders or evangelists are doing it. Now, they may do the main teaching or even the bulk of teaching at times. But everyone else in the church, the, all the saints in the church are to speak the truths of Christ to others. So when you attend the worship service as you do today or Sunday school in a little bit, or fellowship group, you're there being taught God's word, not just for your own edification, but that you might be equipped to share those same truths with others. Then you can share it with people. Now, the last phrase of verse 12 reflects a second reason for why saints are equipped. I call this the saints' result. And what is the result? Is it that, this, <clears throat> that they are equipped for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ? 
That is, it's almost like this is the purpose, this is the aim, this is the end result. That it's so that the body of Christ might be built up. The body of Christ is the church. Pictured here as a house under construction. And all of us, as the saints, as gifted teachers teach the saints so that they then are equipped to do their work of ministry, that is, speaking the truth to one another, that what happens is that the, the body of Christ is built up like a house. It's being, it's, this church is under construction. We should just put an under construction sign somewhere. And that will be a good reminder that we're always building the church of Jesus Christ. By God's design, it is going, the church is built up through the ministry of the saints. As each one speaks truth to one another, evangelizing the lost, encouraging the saints. The evangelist is not going to lead everyone to Christ, right? You can't. They can't. The pastor is not going to be able to teach everyone to maturity in Christ. They can't. Jesus knows this. And Jesus uses all the saints in his church to accomplish this, to lead, to share the gospel with the lost, and to build, encourage the saints to maturity. So let's take a look at some, let's consider the application. If, if all of us are called to make disciples, then we're all responsible to speak the word of God to one another. Christ has called you to the work of service. He's given gifted teachers to teach you and equip you for that purpose. He's given you the equipping of God's word. So what do you do with it? How do you speak truth to other people in your lives? Now, if you're, if you're not doing this yet and you're not unsure, that's okay. I'm just like, oh, but we all must learn. We all must learn how to speak God's truth to one another. We all aim, this should be our desire, our aim. Some of us are gifted to do it. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, they are gifted to do it. The rest of us, we may not be gifted to be in speaking or teaching, but nevertheless, we do it. And you know what? That brings just as much, just as much glory and honor to God. It's like watching a child who can't really, you know, just fumbling and bumbling around as they walk, but they're just taking those steps. They're doing the best that they can in their weakness, in their frailty. And as a parent, how much pride do you get in that? You don't need to see them run around. You just see them, oh, just take a look at them. It's full of joy. And that's what it's like when we who are not gifted teachers, not gifted speakers, when we just simply open our mouths and tell others about Jesus. I can just imagine it brings that same joy and pride to Christ who designed you to fulfill that purpose. How do we speak God's word? Simply, we can do some, here's some practical ideas. You can talk about the sermon. You can talk about what you learned just with one another. The safest place is to speak it in the church. Ask one another after service, hey, what would you learn? What did you think of that sermon? Oh, man. Even if it's like, I thought that stunk. At least you're talking about the word of God, okay? That's all right. You interact with it. How was he wrong? Oh, yeah, he's wrong here and here and here. But at least you're aiming at the truth. You're trying to arrive at the truth. What was encouraging about it? I know at least one of our fellowship groups does that re regularly, discussing the previous Sunday sermon. Some of your fellowship groups can do that. Say, well, man, we don't got somebody to teach or, or preach today. Well, well, someone preached on Sunday. Let's just talk about that today. Let's try to think of how that applies. What do we learn from that? And as people discuss the word of God, or you can talk about Sunday schools as well, Sunday school lessons, we encourage and sharpen one another in our understanding of God's word. That's what we do. 
when you're at dinner with the family, you can talk about, what did you learn this morning? We try to do that with our kids on Sunday evening. Uh, and sometimes they say, I don't know. <laughs> uh, sometimes if they're, they're going to eventually just some, say, I learned about Jesus. Yeah, but um, thank you, teachers who teach them. Appreciate you. You can also share what you're simply learning or reading in the Bible. Some of you read in the Bible. They thought, oh, I was really encouraged by that this week. When you do that, uh, we are building up the church. Uh, all right. Jesus grows his church through the giving of gifted men, the ministry of these gifted teachers, who teach God's people God's word. And he grows it through the ministry of the saints. Those people who are, the people are equipped by those teachers then are those who do the work of ministry. Not just the acts of ministry that we do, but primarily the speaking of truth to one another. We'll see it flesh out in the later points later on. Who speak God's word to one another. And so how can we do, how can we participate, how do we respond? I invite you first and foremost, let's, let's pray. Pray for the growth of S of Bible as we begin the new year. And secondly, I invite you to, if you're not already, participate in the growth of S of Bible. Participate. Be a part. Start and take those baby steps. Speak God's truth. Learn to practice speaking God's truth. Let make, it, make it a part of our lives, a very natural part of speaking God's truth to one another. It uh, doesn't have to be quoting Bible verses word for word, but simply speaking what God is teaching us. May God, build, may God through, in Christ build his church for his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the reminders and the uh, <coughs> review for us of how you grow your church. We thank you, Lord, for the, the gifted teachers, the gifted men and women whom you have given to the church over the years, who have taught us, who have uh, preached the gospel to us, who have faithfully led your church. Thank you, Father, for the treasures that they have been, that they are. We thank you for the elders of this church, for their, faith, their faithfulness even now in not only shepherding the church, but feeding us with your word. We pray for these men in the church. We pray that you would uh, watch over them, uh, give them your enablement, and, Father, help them to serve with your strength. Thank you, Father, for that they, they teach us your word. And as those, who, as those who belong to you, we thank you that you equip us so that we have the tools that we need to do the work of ministry to tell others about Jesus Christ, to tell others what we are, the truths that we're learning, to encourage one another with the truths that comfort us when we go through the trials of life so that we would, as a church, would be built up as a body. And, Lord, we know that this work is still under construction. It's not done yet. But we pray that you would continue to build up your church through these ways. Help us, Lord, to, become, to commit ourselves to be a part of it. Help us to find ways to, to, uh, <clears throat> to speak truths to one another. Help us to be supportive of those who are sense God's call to be missionaries, evangelists, to, to be pastors and teachers of your church. Help us to support them, pray for, the, pray for them, encourage them. Help us to give opportunities in this church to raise up future leaders by bringing them alongside us to learn the ministry, to do the work of the ministry, and then eventually to be released to do that work too. God, we thank you, Father, for, for your wisdom, for Christ's gift, for it is by your design. And we ask that you would follow your design and see the kind of growth that you have designed for your church. Uh, Lord, we pray these things for the, your glory, your praise, in Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you. You're dismissed. Head on down to make the most of our Sunday school that starts off in about 9.30, 9.45-ish uh, on the floor below us. Happy New Year.